Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Romaniacs, the podcast that has to admit there is something worse than Brexit after all. I'm Dorian Linsky, broadcasting from Lockdown London, and joining me this week are two of my favourite shut-ins. Naomi Smith is CEO of Best of Britain and resident of the now strangely quiet London area of Pimlico. Hi Naomi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I, uh, I'm, I'm better today. I think a bit like you, I've noticed you, you've been saying that, you know, one day you feel totally fine and then the next day it's all fear and anxiety and I'm having a good day today. Well, Nigella Lawson admitted on Saturday that she was up to 250 grams of chocolate a night. Have you have, have you had a therapeutic indulgence? Obviously, a vegan therapeutic indulgence. <laughs> well, drooling over Nigella's Instagram feed is a, a pretty therapeutic indulgence in and of itself. Um, that, and I've also been binge watching all ten series of Spooks on iPlayer and trying to decide who I love more, Nigella or Matthew McFadden. <laughs> And then in the Sunday Times uh, weekend, it was claimed that Dominic Cummings had referred to the government's initial strategy as, and this is a paraphrase, herd immunity, protect the economy, and if a few pensioners die, too bad. Um, That went, uh, I can't say viral anymore, can I? Um, That was very popular on Twitter on Sunday. We always knew Cummings was a wrong one. Do you think that he will sort of become the fall guy for Johnson? Do high-profile advisors always end up being scapegoats for the boss? Um, I don't know that he'll fall and become a total fall guy, but um, as someone prepared to hire eugenicists into his team, um, I do hope his star will uh, now be somewhat in decline. Um, it really was an excellent bit of journalism. Um, it was it was written by sort of lobby head boy Tim Shipman and uh, and the brilliant Caroline Wheeler. And so, if listeners haven't read it, I, I would encourage them to. It's called Ten Days That Shook Britain," and you get a real sense of the fragility of government decision making over the past couple of weeks throughout this crisis, and not least that extreme vacillation from Cummings. Um, from being in a position where he was advocating herd immunity uh, when experts were predicting 100,000 deaths to doing this 180 to full lockdown once those experts revised the forecast to 250,000 deaths with mitigation or over half a million without. Scary stuff. And isn't the curse of the uh, curse of the paywall is that the Cummings bit um, got read by a zillion more people than, than the entire feature? Um, and of course, I remember some people saying, you know, because of this eugenics connection, that, that, that he was a kind of evil eugenicist who actively wanted people to die. Do, do you feel? Do you feel like that that he has become? And we've talked enough about him. But do you think it, it is a bit of a sort of distraction, and that, that it, it, sometimes we get a bit sort of personality personality focused, when actually there are a lot of moving parts here, a lot of different people offering different advice. Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't the the government any of us would pick for dealing with a a crisis. And, you know, I think with Trump at the helm in uh, the US, uh, it's not like these are these are the sorts of people that we would cherry pick to handle um, a global crisis. 
yeah, they're having to react, uh, you know, to something that they didn't foresee. And certainly it's, you know, the buck stops with Johnson, not with Cummings. Um, and so we can, we can lay it on thick, but yeah, let's not make him the scapegoat when really there is the, the democratically elected person who is there to serve us um, and who has been at the helm of making some poor decisions over the last few weeks. Alex Andreu is a writer, actor, font of thrifty recipes, and now Romaniac's designated survivor at Dominic Raab. <laughs> Hello, Alex. How are things in Greece? Um, very calm. Um, people are really abiding by the rules. There's huge public support behind them. Um, uh, our chief uh, medical advisor um, has become a sort of overnight celebrity. Um, he is incredibly calm and knowledgeable and at the same time very human and emotional. Um, and so everyone is doing their bit and hoping we can ride through this, basically. I don't know what the Greek equivalent of Waterstones, Greggs and Specsavers are, uh, but some <laughs> of the, there's some of the high street brands that have drawn criticism for staying open for too long. Meanwhile, the likes of Timpsons uh, have been praised for looking after their staff. Um, promising to to pay them during the the whatever we call yeah this, he's the been wonderful this year hasn't he um, I mean he's sort of a, he's a, he's like a famously good guy CEO but it does seem to yeah. sort of divided opinion you know some people felt very disappointed in in Waterstones not perhaps so disappointed in Tim Martin of Weatherspoons given his <laughs> track record do we think the kind of public will remember how companies behave when this is over are we seeing really the decisions that people are making right now are, are going to kind of stick to them? Yeah, n- not for all of them, but for some of them it will stick. I think if if people already have a sort of uh, a virtuous image as a company, I think it will cement that. And I think if if there are companies which have a very good image but behave badly, I think it will undermine that. But I think it will be only a few examples that uh, that the general public sort of remember. So it's become a sort of uh, a, a PR competition in some ways to be the notably um, brilliant companies, and certainly not to be not to be the notably awful ones. Our special guest this week is the London political correspondent for the doubtless mispronounced Deutsche Welle. <laughs> you did a good job there. Oh, okay. TV channel and presenter of its morning show, Morgan Magazine. Also uh, a good job. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll blow it soon. She's covered Brexit and British politics for a German audience. She's published a book on US populism on the left and right. And now she's stranded here with us in the UK. Hello, Charlotte Potts. How are you? Exactly. I'm stranded here in my home office, uh, my husband trying to keep that toddler uh, in the background quiet. So let's see how that goes. Um, I'm doing well. Today, I'm having a calm day too. I've been quite panicked throughout the last couple of weeks, I have to say, just watching everything unfold in Central Europe and seeing Boris Johnson not take the lessons learned there for the UK. Um, but today, I'm having a good day. Is, is it strange being... Um being sort of in lockdown in in Boris land at the moment when presumably you've got you know Mr friends and family are are in Germany well I have I have a Spanish husband um I'm I'm German myself my family is in Germany his is uh, in in Barcelona 
in Spain, and it does feel strange. It was always my worst nightmare to think that the borders would that the borders would be closing, that there wouldn't be planes anymore uh, to bring me to see my family. And yeah, it is. It, it's a strange feeling to be to be on the island and not know when I'll get to see them again. And hopefully, you know, it won't get as bad. And uh, it, there will be a point uh, in the near future where we can where we're able to visit them again. Of course. And how's your TV newsroom handling, you know, uh, working from home and, and, and social oh, that's distancing? That's actually pretty fine, to be honest. I've always worked from home uh, in general. I have a little setup, a tripod, an iPhone, and with that I can go live within seconds into our uh, news show. So I'm doing that from my terrace at the moment, and I've been doing that before the virus. Um, so for me, nothing much changed, to be honest, apart from not being able to talk to as many people as before. And that is something that's kind of bothering me because I would have loved to go out there and see how the general feeling is uh, in the streets of London and uh, how everybody is feeling about this. And have you yet had one of those moments like the, the famous career expert where the where the toddler makes a cameo appearance? <laughs> well, I did I did have the other day uh, him screaming downstairs in front of the TV while I was going live and uh, but yeah, I mean, I think everybody is quite forgiving about these things these days, right? Um everybody mm. Uh, whoever can works from home and it's always good to make people laugh about that situation a little bit as well yes and uh, well frankly people are a little sympathetic about the uh, slightly the, the the slight dip in audio quality <laughs> now that we're all working from home uh this week we will talk about what will corona mean for britain's protracted disengagement from the eu will transition be extended Plus, the world is in turmoil, but Brendan O'Neill is still considered a bookable TV pundit. <laughs> Can our radicalised media handle the coronavirus outbreak? That's all after a few reminders from Alex. It's sad news, but you won't be too surprised. We've had to postpone our Remaniacs versus the Bunker show at the Leicester Square Theatre. That was planned for Thursday, 2nd of April. We've moved it to Tuesday, 22nd of September, when with luck the situation will have improved. If you've bought a ticket already, they're still valid, but we won't open ticket sales again until things are on a more even keel. We'll be able to announce our special guests then too. But what am I going to do next Thursday night, you ask? Don't worry. To fill the gap and bring everyone together, we're going to do a live stream with the panel at 8pm next Thursday, the 2nd of April. We're still working out whether to do it via Patreon or Zoom, but we will make it accessible to everyone. Watch our social media for links and invitations. And if you're a new or existing Patreon supporter, firstly, thank you for continuing to back us in these straitened times. We really do appreciate it, and we'll do our best for you while we're all in lockdown. And secondly, you'll get the links and information about the live stream first. And if you want to support us, search Patreon Romaniacs for more information. We'll see you on Thursday night. Thanks, Alex. First up, Glastonbury is off this year. Those in charge bowed to the inevitable and accepted that getting something so complicated ready for June would be impossible in the midst of a global pandemic. Meanwhile, the government is insisting they won't ask for an extension to the Brexit transition period in June even as Michelle Barnier tests positive for COVID-19. Perhaps we should let Emily Evis take the lead on that one as well. Naomi, um, 
All negotiations with the EU obviously have been suspended, uh, as apparently have meetings of Michael Gove's Brexit squad. The Telegraph's outgoing Europe editor, former Romaniacs guest Peter Foster, uh, tweeted yesterday that a transition extension is inevitable, um, but they just don't want to admit it yet. Do you agree? Is it is it is it remotely conceivable uh, that they won't have to do this? I mean, let's not put anything past them. Um, but I really, really, truly hope uh, that Peter's article um, is right. Uh, it certainly is the belief over on the EU side that they are expecting the UK to want to extend, uh, not least because poor old Michel Barnier and David Frost have both been struck down by COVID-19 and and the talks that were meant to be happening now have been suspended. Um, If listeners do want to sort of get involved with this, um, they can sign our petition at bestforbritain.org slash corona dash transition um, and share it that would be great Um, the the more evidence we can produce for the government that that's what people want the better Um, and then I think it's it's probably important to think about for how long um, we would want some kind of extension Um, article 132 of the treaty is very clear um, and it says that you can only request an extension to the transition period once and you can uh, you can request either a one or two year delay. So we've got one shot at this. And given the enormity of the economic impact of COVID nineteen on global output, um, it's it's more likely to take a decade to bounce back um, from this. And so politicos on both sides of the channel, I think at the moment, will be considering very hard whether not only whether the extension is going to happen, but whether that's actually going to need to be a two-year request um, because for for at least the rest of this year, particularly if a vaccine isn't available for another 18 months, um, all attention from all parliaments across the world, uh, not just in Europe and the UK, are going to have to be focused on one thing and one thing only. I mean, you know, drastic times call for drastic measures. Britain's just sort of seems to have embraced wartime neo-socialism. Um, Indeed, could it could it even embrace uh, a return to sort of uh, cooperation with the EU? Well, here I think is the good news. Um, Best of Britain does polling and and data uh, at its core and the polling positives that we're seeing is that people are very very supportive now of cross-border cooperation um, on everything from policies to vaccines and treatments Um, there really is a kind of you know hashtag cooperate to recover spirit um, that I hope uh, will will help recalibrate our political culture away from the protectionism and isolationism that have dominated much of the last sort of four or five years of our political discourse. Um, and I think it was it was Alex last week on the show said that after the Second World War, we got lovely things like the NHS. Um, and as you say, this has got a wartime feel to it. And the, the, the post-war consensus in the last century brought a sense of us helping those worse off, offering the hand of friendship across the continent. And if the government want a place to start on this, it really surely should be joining with our neighbours in Europe on the bulk buying of protective equipment and when it becomes ready, um, effective treatments and and vaccine. Um, We are still eligible to participate in that scheme throughout transition, um, but our government has chosen not to. Um, The public aren't with them on that. uh, And I really, really do think they need to change their minds. 
Um, Alex, there's an old saying, a conservative is a socialist who's been mugged by reality. Um, now sees a socialist is a conservative who's been mugged by a pandemic. Um, <laughs> does, does this, does Cronin mean that the, uh, kind of the end or just a temporary suspension of the kind of uh, free market global Britain agenda? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's too, too soon to tell, but I think it, the, the effect might be even more profound than that. I, I, I think what people are experiencing right now is that um, there, there are circumstances where the free market um, doesn't operate normally. There are circumstances where you do need a strong uh, paternalistic state to protect you. And those are not necessarily um, terrible things when you're facing uh, an existential crisis such as this is. So I think there is a chance here that there will be a profound change of uh, uh, internal feelings about what the state is there for, um, how we should support it, whether we should be paying more taxes, all of that stuff, you know, has come into really sharp focus. A year ago, people would be telling us that £70 are plenty to live on a week. And we're now in a situation where there seems to be a completely unified acceptance that £94, which is the, the statutory sick pay, is not enough to live on, even for a short period of time. I think that consensus is what gave birth to those wonderful things after the war. It was that common understanding that we need to be generous and civilised to each other. And if something like that emerges from this crisis, then I think we will see a series of very big changes. One of the issues, of course, with the, with the transition, when we were, that we were worried that there would be another uh, cliff edge um, and that we would, uh, we would get to no deal um, you know, at the end of the transition, if there wasn't if there wasn't a deal, yeah. Now, some car manufacturers are using plans they they'd made for a no deal Brexit to cope with the virus. Um, people are kind of experiencing for themselves uh, every day the kind of the consequences of um, you know problems in the supply chain. Um, yeah, is there's that sort of slightly gung ho uh, appetite for no deal that a lot of people had, and they were like, well, that doesn't matter if we you know um, you know if we can't get the food we need in the supermarket, it'll be worth it. Um, I wonder whether after this tremendous shock, does the economy and also just the people's ways of life, um, do you think that that, that, that kind of, uh, that the ability to potentially foist no deal on people is just going to be gone because they're going to be like, well, you know, we've just come out of a crisis. We don't want to go into another one. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that depends on um, how honest and uh, smart the messaging that comes from government after this is, um, because they could pivot to a superficially attractive, we survived coronavirus, will survive an ideal exit, which will be, you know, quite appealing to dyed-in-the-wool um, Brexit maniacs. But um, I hope that won't happen. Um, I, I hope that what will emerge from this is a is a, a a cautious approach that understands that you know balances internationally are incredibly fragile and it doesn't take much to upset them.
Um, Charlotte, there were reports at the weekend that Emmanuel Macron threatened to shut France's borders to the UK if Johnson didn't kind of step up measures against COVID-19. Um, you obviously, you know, kind of explain, explain Britain to, um, to your viewers. What's, what's the general opinion, do you think? I mean, I mean, we always do this, unfortunately. When someone comes from a country, we sort of ask them to speak for the entire population of that country. <laughs> um, but what, broadly speaking, is the, is, is the general opinion of, um, of how our government has handled uh, the pandemic, which seems to be kind of one step, one week behind much of Europe? Well, I think that nobody really cares at the moment. I mean, Germany is so obsessed with itself. Every European country, for that matter, is is very much focused on themselves. So um, the little criticism that I have heard is that Johnson could have taken the lessons learned already from Europe. I remember coming back to London uh, at the end of February and I had talked to virologists on the morning show to German virologists and they explained like for, for day to day they got a little more panicked that, about what was to happen. We, we saw uh, the lockdowns in Italy and how people were dispersing with the virus throughout the country and so that is when Germany stepped up its preparations in order to cope with this virus and I guess the general feeling is why did that not happen in the UK? So when I came back, I every, everything was normal. Life on the streets was normal. Nobody really cared. Some people hadn't even heard about the virus. Um, and I did do some general shopping, uh, a little more than my usual cucumber, um, just to have something at home because I thought, what if we you know, have to self-isolate for a couple of weeks because of a fever? And at that point, Boris Johnson was still talking about just wash your hands and sing happy birthday and everything's going to be fine. Mm. And that would have been the point really where he could have stepped up and put all that money already in the NHS and, um, and ask those retired nurses and doctors to come back. And so he's, he's in, in a way three weeks late. And I think that has been noticed in other European countries as well. And I, was kind of glad to see Emmanuel Macron putting pressure on Boris Johnson there. I mean, I think he got some pressure, of course, uh, nationally as well. Um, but also that international pressure it kind of forced his hand uh, to now announce that lockdown, which I think just comes at a very right time. Or he should have done it a little earlier, actually. Um, and there's obviously, I mean, there's, there's, there's huge reasons to be worried about um, what will happen with the economy, um, you know, with the global economy depending on how long this crisis lasts, how long the more extreme measures um, take, what kind of bailout packages there will be. Before Corona, you know, Brexit has often said, well, we must leave the EU because they're, they're the sort of heading for another financial crisis sort of sooner or later. To sort of cast our minds back, um, how vulnerable was, was the, um, the Eurozone to another financial uh, crisis of some nature? before the virus? Well, it was, it was vulnerable to it before. I think now this just changes everything. Um, it, on the one hand, we have seen how chaotic the European Union has been handling this situation, right? Um, every nation state just uh, announced their own measures, border closures, uh, the 
not exporting uh, protective gear and equipment. And I think that left a lot of Europeans uh, disillusioned with uh, the European Union. Um, and that going forward is going to be, I think, a, a very, very big problem uh, for the EU. Um, but at the same time, it also showed you want to have as many friends in the world as possible. Uh, the US definitely is not as close to the UK as uh, we thought. Um, like when Trump announced his ban on Europeans, he left the UK out, then he uh, immediately uh, put it also in, into the travel ban. So you, you want to have those friends. And, and one anecdote that shows that is that um, Germany is now, for example, taking in corona patients from Italy and from France, uh, from the worst hit regions there, because German hospitals still have a lot of capacities. Uh, in general, Germany has, um, Germany's healthcare system will be best equipped uh, in the European Union to deal with this crisis because a number of intensive care units is very high. Um, and so this crisis really shows you want to be as close to your neighbors as possible. And the UK is kind of left out. Mm. Naomi, um, Britain is, is making massive efforts to protect the workforce and industry, maybe not massive enough, maybe a little too slow. Um, now, of course, under normal circumstances, uh, legislators in particular said, well, there's all these rules in the EU which prevent um, the state taking certain action. Um, are all those rules, you know, across the EU sort of up in, up in the air? Like, I just, I, could just, I can't imagine anyone piping up and going, excuse me, you can't, you can't save that industry. It's against, uh, it's against the state aid rules. Yeah, so EU member states have agreed to a joint set of rules about the kinds of state aid that are allowable within um, our European single market. Um, without them, EU governments would compete to subsidise manufacturers. The richest country would spend itself into a dominant position. The rest would suffer. Um, but the rules do allow appropriate aid in defined circumstances to help an industry in difficulty, uh, to support new development, environmentally or, or socially beneficial developments um, and so forth. So to try uh, to blame the EU for national decisions, be they our own government's refusal to act or, or other governments acting to support their own industries within the rules is, is so politically dishonest, it's untrue. Um, if you remember last year, um, there was a threat to the British steel industry caused by China uh, dumping cheap steel. Germany, France and Italy provided entirely legitimate support to their own industries, um, but Britain opposed the stronger action supported by the EU. Um, now, as, as you highlight, the European Commission has relaxed these state aid rules again. We're in a, a time of crisis and their framework allows for that. Um, and it really speaks volumes about the EU as a dynamic institution um, able to, to resolve crises. In many ways, if a financial crisis, if, say, if coronavirus hadn't happened and, say, the Italy's economy went into meltdown, would be uh, a very difficult to deal with because there would be... Uh, member states looking at each other and saying, why should I pay for you, etc. In some ways, the financial crisis that will sweep through Europe, Europe as a result of this pandemic um, will be easier to deal with in a more unified way because it will affect everyone and they will have no choice but to come together and whip up 
the biggest possible financial guns they can. Yeah. So there will be yeah, no I mean, pointing it, fingers it, at it, each it, other. It's worth noting that the EU, that the 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 things that the EU have done have not just been relaxing state aid rules. Um, they have also issued the escape rules on budget deficits. Um, they have deployed the stability mechanism fund, which um, you know we've we've seen work for uh, financial crises. They are now considering this to be a sufficient economic crisis to do that. Um, they've obviously issued all the joint procurement stuff I talked about earlier. They're mobilising research programmes both on an EU and national uh, research program level to help develop a vaccine. Um, obviously, we know about the, the shutdown of external borders and those becoming much stricter. Uh, and they've also released a load of farming and fishing aid to keep food supplies going. So it, it's just it's just all painting a picture of the fact that the EU isn't this intransigent, uh, my way or the highway, monolithic organisation that, that the levers have pointed at it always as being it actually bends and um flexes perfectly uh, in in these crises now not always perfectly not on every issue and i think we've all got some strong criticism of the eu when it comes to the handling of things like the refugee crisis um but th- th- we can be in no doubt um that the the levers have um been shown to to just be completely politically dishonest when it comes to their characterization of the eu and how it uh, handles crises um, while we've been recording, there's been some good news coming in. Um, Imperial College's um, Professor Neil Ferguson, uh, and if you remember, Imperial College have been doing a lot of the expert advice heavy lifting for the government, um, has just told the Science and Tech Committee of the Commons that based on their modelling, the, the UK's ICU capacity won't be breached so long as we stick to the lockdown measures that the government has asked us to do and that they continue to ramp up ICU facilities on their current trajectory. So it sounds like we might be able to get on top of this thing. I think that's really important from a behavioural perspective because people think if there's an attainable goal, they're much more likely to stick to it. So I think that's a really nice bit of good news that's come in while we've been recording. Our guest this week is Charlotte Potts, political correspondent for Deutsche Welle, anchor at ZDF and a London refugee. <laughs> uh, Charlotte, thanks for joining us. Um, how, how long have you been? Um, how long have you been the, the London correspondent? Two years now. I mean, it's been an absolutely fascinating post for the last couple of years, especially last year. You had uh, Brexit not happening, again, not happening, May stepping down, Johnson coming in, deadline after deadline. But you, there were so many other stories to tell from the UK as well. And I guess one point that I've always tried to get across is that uh, – debate that you see unfold throughout UK society on Brexit. There, Europeans still can't, especially Germans, can't wrap their head around why uh, the majority of Brits uh, voted to leave in the referendum. And I've just been talking to lots of Brexiteers and trying to understand where, why, why they thought like they thought where they were coming from and that has been absolutely fascinating to uh, get to know uh, that side of the story as well. Mm. I think in Germany, we, I mean, Angela Merkel was meant to be sort of well into her, her long goodbye phase, um, sort of winding down. Now she's facing this astonishing um, crisis. In quarantine, actually. <laughs> At the moment, she is in quarantine. She was... Uh, 
she got a vaccine last Friday from a doctor who then afterwards tested positive and she went on air. Um, she addressed the Germans on Sunday um, talking about tougher measures, uh, restrictions on public life. And right after that, her uh, one of her um, employees came to her and told her that she needed to quarantine because that doctor had just told her Uh, told them that, that he was pet tested positive. So right now she is at home. She's doing uh, working from home as well as many others. Uh, and uh, she, we know that she has been stocking up a couple of rolls of toilet paper and three bottles of wine. She was last spotted last Friday at a supermarket <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, she was uh, she was a lame duck, and uh, she doesn't have long to go. And you. Did not see her very much uh, in public anymore. She didn't react on the uh, current situation of the refugees in Greece, for example. She let her ministers do all the uh, front and uh, center work. And now with the virus, of course, that's her stage. Uh, she's a physicist. Her husband, uh, Joachim Sauer, he's a quantum chemist. So both um, scientists and that was always... Um, what she had brought into the chancellery, a very rational approach on many things, uh, apart from a, a good, most of the time, good political instincts. And you just see now in a crisis like this how, um, how stable and, and how, how strong of a, of, a, of a leader she can be. I think that, that really calms the German people at the moment. Well, I mean, we're seeing, it's an astonishing test of leadership. We've talked a lot about Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, but you also see um, you see Bolsonaro in Brazil, you see Mexico, you see you sort of every every country is sort of we're seeing exactly what kind of people these leaders are. Is Merkel um, what what's her sort of her kind of what what are the public making of her performance here? Are they kind of Because she does have this kind of, she's been around for so long. She just has this very sort of calming presence. Well, this is exactly uh, what... Is she popular right now? This is exactly what people criticize, that she has been around for too long and that there was no movement anymore in German politics, that she had promoted a, a climate where there was no um, discussion anymore and uh, Germany couldn't move forward uh, really into, um, yeah, into the next decade. Um And now that really changed. I mean, her poll numbers are astonishing. And I think uh, the uh, an overwhelming majority of Germans think that she is handling um, the COVID situation very, very well. Um, an overwhelming majority are also in favor of uh, very strict measures uh, to, um, to curb the spread of the virus. So this is really her field. Um, and you can tell when she is addressing the public... Uh, um, especially in comparison to Boris Johnson, she's just been she's been extremely clear, extremely well prepared. She told the German public exactly what would close down on which day and for which reasons and what would stay open. Um, she's uh, she's showed that there is no need to stockpile goods uh, by going to the supermarket herself and shopping there. Um, and I think that that set a, a good example uh, for many Germans. Do we know why Germany has had a relatively low mortality rate compared to? Um, I mean, I think compared to other countries. Yeah, people are really trying um, trying to find a good explanation. I think uh, what we know so far is that the German health system is extremely well 
uh, equipped to deal with a crisis like this if uh, if the spread of the virus is curbed, of course, um, not if you have exponential growth. But um, Germany has the most um, intensive care units in all of Europe, um, uh, an astonishing number of, of ventilators, um, and, uh, and also an astonishing number of doctors and nurses equipped to deal with this situation. But that can be the only reason. I think um, another reason in, that we've seen why the mortality rate has been much lower uh, than in Italy and Spain is because old people don't mix as much with the younger generation. So the nursing homes were locked down very early on in the process, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I know that nobody can... Uh, is able to go in or out there, uh, apart from a few staff uh, that have protective gear on. Um, and we've seen in Spain and Italy that was very different. The younger generations often live mm. with their grandparents and elderly in the same household. So the spread was couldn't be as contained. Germany has also done a lot of testing, and um, that testing showed that a lot of young people were affected with very mild symptoms or were even asymptomatic uh, in, uh, with the disease. So mm-hmm. um, they, uh, I think, haven't just, uh, have just been able to stay away from the older population. But if that stays like this, we, we can't really tell at this point, of course. Um, Merkel's been a pretty candid, straightforward uh, in her dealings with the UK in her career. Will um, her successor... Uh, have a similar kind of relationship um, with the UK? Or is that kind of really um, up for grabs? Well, if you look at her possible uh, successes, uh, three men, and, and that right now we have to say that um, the, 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 the fight uh, to become the next chancellor of Germany um, and, and to take over the, the Conservative Party as party leader that has been... Uh, indefinitely postponed at this point. Um, But uh, the three men that would like to have her job, um, I think, are similarly pragmatic when it comes to uh, the approach with the UK. They want the UK after Brexit to remain a partner. They don't want the UK to crash out on WHO terms. 100,000 German jobs are threatened uh, in case that happens um, at the end of the year or even after um, a possible extension. So Germany has a lot at stake and um, even the even her successors will, I think, uh, just have a very pragmatic approach and try to get the best out of it mm. for Europe as, as, as much as they can. And you were saying earlier that the kind of believers in Europe, uh, the European project, have been kind of disappointed the way that everybody was suddenly looking after their, right. their own. Um, I mean, it seems that like this experience, it, it could lead to greater sort of international cooperation and an, a, an awareness, I suppose, that, you know, obviously the way this disease travelled is because people travel so much, because we are so physically interconnected, sort of like, like it or not. And yet another route is just countries becoming more, uh, getting more of a siege mentality, becoming more selfish, becoming more isolationist. Do you have an instinct to, of... of you know, and I think it is kind of healthy to think of of when this is over and sort of what happens next. Um, have you got to think which way it would go? I'd love to give you a positive outlook on that. I have doubts that this is going to play out well for the European Union. Yeah, I think 
it just it really showed that every nation state has done their own thing um again in closing the borders not helping each other out in the beginning um and it just showed that there that that cooperation yeah the cooperation was just lacking in the beginning and i think it is quite symbolic for example that germany is taking in now patients from france and italy uh, because there is room in the hospital so that that is a kind of positive but looking down the road um i think there is a lot of trouble for the eu ahead for example the italians i know have been very very disappointed in the lack of help from the eu but also from their neighboring countries and the and russia and china stepped in to help and we know that there is a lot a lot of russian propaganda um, apparently very active in italian social media channels and this could have been prevented if the eu acted uh, much quicker as a joint force uh, in that situation Now it's time for our segment to the barricades. This is our weekly segment where we encourage Romaniacs listeners to gather in strictly metaphorical groups of ten or more to fight for a cause. Uh, this time I'm going to choose something. Kind of echoes uh, a little bit what Alex um, was saying earlier. and said, you know, the pandemic has led uh, evictions, disconnections and so on to be suspended in many places. We've seen London's homeless, many of London's homeless temporarily housed in hotels. And in a crisis... There's no sort of controversy over that. It does feel natural to show compassion for people in desperate situations, which does raise the question, why is it okay to let them suffer the rest of the time? Uh, so when uh, the pandemic is over, I hope that we don't just revert to the norm and that there is a reassessment of how we treat the vulnerable, um, how we we kind of ease people's suffering when they're, when they're in, in sort of desperate straits, how we regard those uh, allegedly low-skilled workers who are currently putting food on everybody's tables. I mean, just so much of the reassessment, so much of the that's going on now, the amount of compassion, the amount of gratitude um, for everyone from sort of NHS workers to bin men. It seems very sort of sincere, uh, but it also seems like it might be temporary. And I would urge everyone to be prepared to sort of throw their weight behind efforts to develop some of these emergency measures, some of these very powerful feelings into permanent policies and not let Britain slip back into its fairly callous status quo when all this is over. Finally this week, as well as a public health crisis and an economic crisis, corona is a media messaging issue. How do you get people to pay attention to the science and stop being selfish, as Johnson put it, when we're governed by people who got into power by denigrating expertise and exercising naked self-interest? Are we, to some extent, reaping the whirlwind of five years of Brexity reporting, hot takes and overheated demagoguery? Alex, this week we saw the Telegraph calling Johnson's lockdown uh, the end of freedom and shrieking tornado of evil Alison Pearson, tweeting <laughs> that made in China should be a mark of shame. Um, so it seems that the, the people that sort of went on about the blitz spirit and how Britain can weather anything um, appear to have sort of fallen apart already. Is, was, does, does, this, does this show perhaps that they weren't quite as, uh, as stalwart as they pretended to be? Yes, it, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, the people who have spent five years calling everyone else a snowflake um, had a meltdown and 
sort of day one of pubs being closed. And it's like, oh, is it your safe, <laughs> safe space? Is that what's going on? <laughs> um, it, look, I hope another change that will come from this is the restoration of expertise, um, especially in our media, and the culling of some of these talking heads that, whose only qualification seems to be that they have sort of big opinions with a Z at the end. Well, the Pearson and the Pearsons of O'Neill seem to have developed a herd immunity to shame and, and consequences. <laughs> uh, so, do you, do you do you sort of really do you do you really think they will pay uh, any price for this? Because it seems that nobody's job is safer than a, a professional bullshitter. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it will depend. It will depend in part on what I was talking about earlier and what you were talking about in your To the Barricades piece, will this bring a profound emotional internal change in people or will be will it be something that's forgotten as soon as the crisis has passed? I hope it will be the former. I hope that people begin to realise, which I think is, is pronounced in Britain in a way that I haven't seen in any other European country I've lived in. People tend to see um, citizenship as a set of entitlements with no corresponding duties. Um, so when it's time to act collectively because you need to, every asshole just goes, but what about my pint? But I want to go to the football. Who cares? Seriously, who cares? Um, you know, the, the, they invoke the spirit of the Blitz, but they would be the twats who left their light on during the blackout. Naomi, in his, uh, t- turning to the PM, in his Monday night address, Johnson struck me as a sort of uh, a naturally flippant libertarian, so forced into the role of sombre authoritarian and, and, and really hating it. Um, are his, is it, do you think there is a, it, it comes down to in some ways to his natural instincts are one of the reasons, and as well as the natural instincts of the Tory party, one of the reasons um, why Britain has sort of struggled uh, to, to take some of the measures that we've now taken, that we now think are necessary. That, it, that there is part of Boris Johnson, that if he was still a journalist, would have written a, you can't take away mm. pubs. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think we've got to separate out Britain from the man, and he isn't Britain. Um, Britain, though, does have this this dreadful culture of exceptionalism. Um, it, probably in no small part because we never were required to fully atone for our sins um, of empire. However, uh, so you know, I, I so I think that there is certainly some kind of um, view that a will, will be all right and you know this is a foreign thing happening to foreigners and not on our shores and we're a, an island and we can we can weather this ourselves and then of course there is Johnson the man who is not in his comfort zone doing serious he's in his comfort zone doing jolly and jovial and upbeat um, but I think that you know there, there this environment has emerged where there is significant suspicion of of experts and media, and of course some of that can be blamed and should be blamed on senior politicians, for instance, you know Michael Gove, who very famously said we've had enough of experts who leveraged 
distrust in institutions to support their own narratives. But it has also got to do with um, social media algorithms uh, promoting the same opinions time and time again on our feeds and helping to reinforce this bubble mentality. So we need to reach out of that bubble consistently and challenge our own views as much as possible. Um, And of course, those of others we know, we've we've just got to try and break that cycle. And Johnsonism, if there is such a thing, uh, seems to be about simplifying complex situations and complicating simple ones. This is uh, a government uh, that came to power Mm. on the back of get Brexit done, spent £100 on get ready for Brexit uh, adverts. Um, What happened to their ability to drill a clear three-word message into the public's brains? Where is the enormous media spend? Like, what's... I mean, they've certainly been very slow off the mark with the the comms on this. It is picking up a bit, but nowhere near at the scale you'd expect, given the scale of the challenges. Um, And remember, it's not just a, a triplet that's needed. Different audiences need different messages. It's not that they want them. It's, you know, NHS workers need one set of instructions Um, If you work in a school, you need another set. If you're a parent, you need another set. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously the government is very rightly putting huge amount of effort into the incredibly um, urgent and important things like increasing uh, NHS capacity, ICU facility. Um, But it it clearly is putting much less effort into um, the the behavioural challenge and a very large chunk of the success Um, of beating this virus we know comes down to behavioural challenges. So where is the messaging on why it's so important to space out in the supermarket queue? Where is the message on why it is a maximum of once a day that you can be allowed out for exercise? How are they going to sustain it? Um, it, For One good example of this, I think, was yesterday when Hancock um, announced the need for 250,000 volunteers, healthy volunteers to come forward and help relieve some of the pressure from other services by you know, running vulnerable people to uh, medical appointments and back and, and, and things like that. Um, and it, it, they just released it, but they didn't have the ad campaign to support it. Now, of course... Mm. It gets released. Everyone Googles it. You get that first initial big spike of interest and Google served up absolutely nothing because they hadn't done the Google AdWords. They hadn't invested in that kind of, of advertising. And it was a huge missed opportunity on that front. Um, so, you know, this is where a situation unlike the election where they are campaigning and they're setting their own agenda, they're now having to set one which, you know, is, is largely being dictated to them by by events. Um, William Hague wrote a big piece uh, on one of the Sunday papers, I think it was the Sunday Telegraph, where he was saying that he would rather have a prime minister with liberal instinct who was very uh, hesitant to employ such measures than one with uh, sort of hawkish authoritarian streaks that that, uh, uh, embraced them with glee. But that's not a binary choice. I'd rather have neither. I'd rather have a prime minister who looks at the evidence and does the right thing. Why can't we have that? Charlotte, Boris Johnson is um, uh, very much a sort of product of uh, our kind of hyper-partisan media and comment environment. You know, this is where he he, uh, kind of spent a large part of his career before entering politics. 
how does Germany's media environment compare? Do you, do you have the same kind of, um, can you pick up a newspaper in Germany and very clearly say this, whether it's on the right or on the left? No, you really can't. I mean, they're more conservative uh, papers and more um, more liberal papers, of course. Um, but in general, our media environment is not at all as polarized as it is here or um, also in the United States, of course. And I think what we have we have public we have a public broadcasting system we have private channels of course private news channels um but i think this virus is really the time for public channels to shine at least it is in germany um we've seen that um unfold over the last couple of weeks uh if you look at the latest polls uh, 90% of people in Germany approve uh, of the work of the public broadcasters all of a sudden. That wasn't, that didn't used to be like that. And they want to get their information from a reliable source. Um, and I think uh, the media, this is the job of the media right now. This is what the press here also should do, uh, is to look at the scientific facts, to not... Uh, draw their own agendas or push their own agendas. Uh, this is much more needed than ever before. And Deutsche Welle has a piece about whether disinformation on corona coronavirus coming from Russia was directly from the, the Kremlin, concluded that it's not orchestrated in the same way as, for example, um, disinformation campaigns about MH17, Crimea. Um, what is the kind of... Um, is the kind of disinformation uh, that is causing trouble around coronavirus, is it more sort of chaotic that there's not so much people pulling the strings? It's just like a lot of bad information, rumours, conspiracy theories whizzing around. What, what did you... I think it's a lot, yeah, it is very subtle, the misinformation that we receive. Um, I uh, Maybe some of our listeners or you yourself have gotten that text message um, that includes... Uh, symptoms of the coronavirus and how you can um, check yourself if you have it or not that you uh, it mentions you should drink a lot of tea and that the virus uh, can stand heat um, this is all not scientifically proven um, but it sounds very much like there could be some truth to it um, and this is just very random the information we've received and I think um, I've gotten that message, for example, from a couple of uh, really big private companies from the CEOs that sent those messages out to all of their employees. Um, so I think there is a lot of misinformation uh, out there that some of the media is also picking up on from time to time. Um, so I think we, what's really needed right now is a lot of patience, a lot of fact-checking, and rather holding back uh, with a part of the story until you have, until you know that that is something that the public uh, needs to hear right now. Well, I mean, I mentioned this actually yesterday on The Bunker, um, which is the World Health Organization. Um, you can add their number to your WhatsApp and it will they will then send you the latest fact-based information uh, that you might want. So you just add their number, which is plus four one seven nine eight nine three 
1892 you send them a whatsapp saying hi it then automatically responds with with a menu and you can you can pick the information that you need so i mean i think that's a, a fantastic service and um hope that everyone is is going there and it, it also has lots of myth busting on it so all those things about whether if you swill your mouth out with lemon juice you won't get coronavirus each one of those they're debunking uh, with the evidence so uh, big big up the world health organization Okay, we've reached the end of the show, which means it's time for the Brexit bridge. Every brick in this bridge represents something we'd like to carry with us towards the EU. Uh, Hopefully by the time we've done, we won't have to share them while standing two metres apart. Charlotte Potts, as our guest, um, what will you contribute to the the project of intercontinental harmony? That's a hard one. Keep communicating. Reliably and not sending people dodgy advice via WhatsApp. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Stay well. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I hope to see you all and meet you all in person soon. And thanks, Naomi and Alex, as well. Now for our theme song, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, as we thank our latest Patreon backers with particular gratitude, uh, given the circumstances. Hello from me and props to Mike Swindles, Amy Bayliss, Richard Winning, Don McAllister, Natalie and Bianca Madden. A very, very big hello and thank you from me to Mike Steeples, Emma Swaby, Norbert Lickfeld, Neil Lewington, Heather Kendall and James Chisholm. And thanks from me to Jared Brown Rabinowitz. Richard Arnold, Andrew Cooper, Anwita Woodhull, Hamish Thompson, and Rob Cremona. We'll see you all next week. Take care. Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Naomi Smith and Alex Andre. Audio production and scripting was by me, Alex Reese. The producer is Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer is Jacob Archbold. And Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. Mm-hmm.